0: It's go time. Previously on Third Down Gamble.
1: Also well-meaning organizations because they're having financial hardships. I I think the big thing now with the Canadian Football League is the way that they've been running things, it's been kind of haphazard as far as how things go financially. They still managed to pull it out. It doesn't seem like anybody's truly in dire straits.
0: And of course, we are aware that the, the very real possibility exists that we won't play this year. But as they say, uh, hope springs eternal. And we're going to try to keep a, a positive attitude and hope that somehow, way, we'll play in 2020. And, and of course, it'll all depend on what happens uh, with the virus and, uh, and the advice we get from public health.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Today, we are uh, really thankful to be joined by Andrew from the Eskimo Empire podcast, Thanks for being with us today, Andrew.
2: Well, thanks for having me back, guys. Uh, it's always fun to come back and uh, chat with you both. And like I, uh, I was thinking, you know, we're about three weeks in, so it's probably about time for me to come back and chat some more football with you guys.
1: It's it's great
2: having you,
3: here Pat. And I were musing on whether we should go NFL on you and bring you back for fourth down. Okay, <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's fair. It's fair. I yeah. tell you what, let's give it I, CFL. We'll I, bring them back in third we'll down. On we'll this make phone. it the gamble. Uh, yes. Okay, fair
3: enough. <laughs> yeah Shortened season. Hey. Every league is, is <laughs> every league has got a plan for one, including the CFL. And the clock is ticking. We're into June. There's only so many days left before a decision has to be taken. So if one is going to be taken, Oof. is it worth it to go with a shortened season?
2: I think because we're all CFL fans, uh, whatever we can get, we'll be happy with. I, I don't think that there's any question at all that if it means that it's eight games, if it means that it's uh, 10 games, if if it means that they're having a, a, a weekend of round robin play and a gray cup, I, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Give me some football.
1: At this point, one game would be great. <laughs>
2: Uh, I know we, I was joking this week because a lot of the teams got permission to uh, open up their practice facilities and, uh, I retweeted it saying, Hey, if they, if they sell tickets to this, there's a few of us that are going to be there. Like, (laughs) it doesn't matter. Just let me sit on the sidelines and watch them work out. I don't, whatever. Uh, I just want to see, you know, the guys out there doing their thing. So, um, yeah, I, I think that if there is an opportunity and they can do it safely, let, let's find a way to do it.
3: Discussion points, I think, really come down to two things. One is, if you start in September, you're probably pushing the end point to December, and December on the prairies, we know, ouch.
2: Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah.
3: And the other part of the equation is, of course, the Americans.
2: Well, and that's the bigger part, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, is that... Uh we we don't know if there's going to be the ability for those people to travel up here. So the one thing that I'm that I'm kind of taking a little bit of solace in is the fact that we are at the beginning of June. I, I don't think they have to really make a decision before the end of June. And the reason I say that is that would if if they're looking at a at a September start, if they are making a decision at the beginning of July, that gives you eight weeks to kind of get everything together or I guess five weeks, I guess, because then you'd have, or or six weeks, and then you'd have a couple of weeks of training camp, and then away you go, right? So... We've got four weeks and right now everything is changing so rapidly, both good and bad. <laughs> Let's face it, in certain parts of the world, it's it's not going very well. And so I, I think there's lots of time that we can kind of see what is going to happen as far as players being available to be here. And I think that's going to be a big part of it. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping that things continue to get a little bit better. And then we're looking at, OK, well, by the beginning of July, can we look at in mid-August. Is there a way that we could be bringing guys in at the beginning of August and having that quarantine time and then getting things started? And, and I'm hoping that that'll be the case.
1: You know, where I'm where I'm hopeful, I guess, is, is that, uh, you know, if, if the CFL is going to be starting in September, I think you have the opportunity to watch what other leagues like the NHL are going to do and to learn from those leagues so you can implement something mm-hmm. in our league. I think you've still got time because I think they're the first on the decision if hockey playoffs are going to start in summer, they need to be moving on that fairly quickly. And, uh, you know, we'll see their timeline and how that works. And, and then the CFL, I think, can learn from it. Oh, that. absolutely. You can only run so many models
3: before you start losing time. And I think the commissioner even alluded to it on the Peterson show. And with that sort of staring you in the face, the sooner you can take a decision, the more you can vet what you need to do right. in the in the big picture. The longer you wait, then everything gets exacerbated down to, okay, we've got to really do this quickly. We've got to get the players out of the States. We've got to make sure everyone's 14 days. You know, it just the timelines get compressed and compressed and compressed.
2: At which I get. If they were to make a decision today, my guess is the decision would be, we don't see you till next year. Mm-hmm. At this particular moment, I'm okay with them taking a little time. (laughs) Making sure that we we find a way to hopefully get a little football in there. As long as it's safe. So so you're right. And that's why I I say, you know, you've got a a good three, four-week period here to see kind of how things play out in in Canada alone and then, of course, in the States and then try to make that decision. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we get a little something.
1: And I think at some point we, we have to get something because, you know, there, there will be a drop dead point at some point. You can keep moving the line and say, okay, it's here, it's here. And we have seen the CFL do that already, right? The training camp, we, we consider it backing off and doing some things. But that, that, that line keeps changing until it's too late. So my guess is that the league itself is probably... Coming up with the three or four most plausible scenarios, right, including that we don't go at all, and and examining as much as they can. I think you put the brain trust in, you throw out as many ideas as you can, you find the the particularly viable ones, and, and you explore those, as you said, Don. So you've got something ready to go in the event that you're able to proceed.
3: The other part of the equation then is Hub City versus everybody gets a home date. The CFL has to decide, ultimately, is it going to be Hub City, which two hub cities will be and then how do you
2: proceed that is and that is a huge and difficult question but i i would say uh, now i know this is um i don't know if this is fair or not but i I would say because we really don't know what the condition of the united states is going to be in in even a month from now much less three months from now as we get into september I'm more of a proponent of the hub cities than I was before. Before I thought, well, I mean, if we're going to have anything, like let's just wait until everybody can travel around. And I know we had talked about it on this podcast a number of times where it's like, you know, West versus West and East versus East. So the travel is pretty minimal and, and let's just go that way. But uh, the more I think about it and the more I think about how we've got all of these, if, if we're even going to have the opportunity to have an, um, um, the Americans playing up here, I think we do have to look at, okay, as much as possible, if we can keep everybody in one spot, I think it's safer for everybody, them included. And uh, so to me, I'm, I'm kind of wrapping my head a little more around the Hub City idea.
3: Well, the National Basketball Association is looking at playing at Disneyland. Or world, I guess it is, and oh, okay. and um, because they've got the courts, and they can, they've got the high res ability down there with cameras and everything like that. Like everything's set up for television, and the right. NBA, I'm sure, has got their head wrapped around no fans in the stands. This is the only way we can play.
2: That's right. Yeah, and the we don't even know if the CFL could say we could play without fans. Like we we don't. We don't even know if they would be able to do that. Um, but if it was in a hub city and you had everybody there and then there's, you know, your your Thursday, Friday, Saturday game um, or Thursday, Fr- Thursday in one city and Friday in another or <laughs> something along those lines or, you know, Saturday doubleheader, one in one city and one in the other. And, and then they, there's just it's taking away some of the variables that could make it even worse. And that's the part that I'm trying to wrap around in my head is how much control can you give and still be able to play the games properly with some, with people enjoying it. And, um, but they can't give out, as much control, because then it puts into people into situations where you just don't know what will happen.
3: The restrictions apply to players, to support staff, to coaches, and if you're going to be two and a half to three months or three and a half months under those sanctions, and they might be pretty stringent, mm-hmm. you got to weigh that in your own mind. Like, how much of my personal liberty do I want to give up to be able to pursue my job or? Or my vocation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there are going to be guys that are going to tell you, well, like, I'd, I'd rather play and get paid than not. Mm-hmm. And... Um and I'm not trying to make it all about them getting paid. I'm just saying that there there are guys that are passionate about it that are like, okay, well, I'll, let's do this. And as an example, let's say that they do pick Regina as a as a hub city because I know that that's been talked about quite a bit. But I'm sure there's guys uh, like even right now. I, I look, you know, you guys just signed Dion Lacey. Well, he still knows some of the guys that are on the Eskimos, so you can't tell me that they aren't going to at least get the chance to hang out together. Mm-hmm. At least a little bit.
3: But what, what does that take? That's just the whole... Yeah. This is part of a yeah. logistical nightmare if you're the CFL and the PA. Oh, Because sure. where does the PA stand on all of this? They've got a membership yeah. that wants, you know, wants to play, but how yes. much of your personal freedom do you want to give up in this... I mean, how many pandemics have we been through in a century? It's like... It just doesn't happen. Just this one. (laughs) Thankfully. But uh, but, you get my point. It's just a surreal sort of circumstance. And there are going to be some guys that are going to say, you know, I want to be able to walk out at night and do what I want to do. And there are guys that are going to say, no chance. Like, come on, big picture. We got to stick together.
2: Well, I'm going to relate this to my own work, actually. So we, we just started seeing having patients come back into our clinics. And but everything is by appointment only. The patient pulls up in their car. They're they're screened questions while they're in their car. We have everything prepped. They we wave them in. They come in. They they have to wear a mask. We have to wear a mask. You know they have to use hand sanitizer as soon as they come in. They have to see us use hand sanitizer. They go in. They have their appointment. They come back out if anything needs to be you know, taken care of. It's uh, like paperwork and things. It all happens in the one office. They come back out, they leave. We wipe down absolutely everything and we're only having two patients per day. So in that particular scenario, that is a lot of restriction and control. But not one of our patients has said, well, why are you doing all this? Like they get it. Right. So you can't tell me that to some degree with the CFL takes into account, obviously the, the mental health and well-being of these players as well, that there are going to be areas for them to do to break away to some degree or, or hang out with these guys that they know. It, there is going to be these restrictions. And if you want to play, if you want to be in here, you have to follow these restrictions. And that's the same thing for us. If you want to come in and see this therapist, this is the only way we can do that. And I I think some people are going to be a little more accepting of that than people might think.
1: You know, when you speak about those restrictions, though, you're talking also about very small numbers. And and I think that's where the issue of having a team and all the, not only the players, but the, you know, the coaches, the organizational people involved. And if it's going to be telecast, you're bringing, you know, a whole nother group in that large group is going to be a challenge. Oh, I agree. And on top of it, the idea of a hub. Um, you know, we've talked before about December. Well, if you're hubbing in Saskatchewan, that's going to be some pretty ugly games potentially in November, right?
2: <laughs> um, well, so. it, it could it could be. To, to be fair, though, I mean, we were in Calgary in the last week of, of November last year, yeah. and we were all in shorts. So, I mean... Yeah, you can get lucky. It's, yeah, yeah you, you never know, right? Yep. Yeah.
3: Well the NFL is looking at I guess covid safe helmets where they're shielded and they're masked and I don't think that's a hard to to be able to create that but I think when you get into November on the prairies that's going to be a tough thing to see out of. Uh,
2: That was my first concern when I read that too, actually was it's not going to take long to fog up the visor. And then do we open up for more player injuries? (laughs) How does that, and and we don't want that either because then how do you fly a guy in to play when you have to, you know, he's going to, you know, do we have to have expanded practice rosters for just that reason? Right. So that they're there. So it, there, there's a ton of logistics. I, I can see, Uh, but I still think that trying to keep the control of most of it is probably going to help in the longer run or they have to look at, we, we might not just be able to pull it off logistically.
3: So here are two other ideas that I want you guys to sort of mull over. One is what about delaying it until next spring and maybe having two seasons in 2021?
2: uh the way that I, I, I'm not saying that that's a horrible idea, but I am saying that I know a lot of the guys that I talk to would laugh me under the table if I said that that was the opportunity because they're like, yeah, no, after you play like f- 14, 15 games, yeah, no, my, my body needs that five months off. And I, I don't think they could do it.
3: But what about two shortened seasons, though? Let's say you only play 8-8 eight and eight or something like that for 2021. Honestly,
1: I, I don't like that idea, Don, because I, I think, you know, what's the point? If you're going to go 8-8, eight and eight, why not throw a 16-game season in and make that one count? Uh, I think people want to see a competitive season. And to, to stop halfway through and have a playoff and then do it again, I think, loses the integrity of a league.
2: I think it's I think it's a tougher sell. I'm not saying that it's a that they couldn't do it, but I think I agree with Pat a little bit that that would be a, it would be a tougher sell in comparison. Uh, but you did say one thing, Pat, that kind of tr- that kind of got to me. There was if you're gonna do eight and eight, then why don't you do 16 and make it count? Well, e- even if they did eight and eight, it still counts. Like it's one of the things that I see a lot of people saying where they're like, well, if they have a great cup this year, then it has to be an asterisk and it has to be all that. I'm like, no, it, no, it doesn't. That is what everybody had the same thing to play in. And we have a champion. If you have a champion, they get crowned a champion. The, the asterisk says it was in a shortened season that everybody had to play because of something we had never experienced before, but it doesn't take any value away from being the champion that year.
1: See, and I, I don't have a problem. Like you said, Andrew, in terms of the the eight games do count, but, but the idea of running a playoff and having two winners in the 21 season, just so you can say we were going back to the season prior.
2: Yeah. Oh, I agree that
3: I don't,
1: I don't see a point in that.
2: Yeah, I agree for sure. Okay.
3: The other flyer idea is what if, this fall, instead of playing 60-minute games, you play, play a 30-minute game, fourth quarter rules in both halves. And then you could maybe start a little bit later. You could play a Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday.
1: <laughs> wow. I, I haven't even thrown that out. Boy, oh, boy.
3: It's just, I, I, I said a couple weeks ago on the podcast that may take some off-the-wall ideas yep. to get this to happen. <laughs>
2: Don's just sitting back lobbing grenades at us to see what happens yeah.
3: here. Yeah exactly well, I,
0: that
2: was that's an interesting one I'd have to ponder that one. I don't even know if I have an opinion off the top of my head.
1: I don't either I mean it would be uh it would be exciting I guess if you had two fourth quarters going at the same time but I, I, well it'd be yeah. fourth quarter rules right I, I don't know how to respond to that i'm I'm flummoxed <laughs> the,
2: the only thing that I will say that that would make it very difficult is game prep. Like if you had to play one team in in a, in like a, basically a second half scenario on a on a Saturday, and then the following Wednesday you have to play a different team, it it I don't know that you really get enough time to put everything together. Like that's the only thing I would say. Let's yeah.
3: say that the the Stampede and the Eskimos play on Saturday, and then the, and then they reverse the other one becomes the home team, and they play a game. Again on Wednesday. So a home and home. Right. And that way you've got that prep time and you can actually develop a game plan for what you just
1: went through. Interesting. You make it like the old playoffs, the two game total points, which <laughs> takes you back to one game again isn't it? <laughs>
3: <laughs> it, we're not we're not that far removed when they used to play 60s on Fridays and Mondays that's true yeah, that's true yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah very true so i i'' I wonder if there'd be a, a player safety concern that's my only thing but uh, i I in the prep but it's not a, it's an interesting idea I'd have to think about how it would logistically work to say, Okay, yeah, we could probably pull because again, with nine teams, it makes it hard too, right? It's not like you can say, "Well, you're going to play a back to back against Calgary here." Well, Winnipeg plays a back to back against BC, and then so Saskatchewan has a two weeks buy or or like a one one. Well, they
3: have the Sunday Wednesday off, and then they'd be
2: back into it. Correct, and then they'd be back again. So it's so it'd be interesting to see how that yeah how that would play out. The schedule maker would be like, "Are you out of your mind?" Like, seriously. <laughs> he doesn't have to move teams around. All he
3: has to do is figure out who plays whom. Still. <laughs> if wrong, Holy crap. Guess, yeah. Who plays who? <laughs>
1: well, a- Andrew, I think next week you and I are going to have to come up with some far-out questions that we can log back at dawn and see how he goes here. Yeah,
2: what, what if they take all the players and put them in a Challenger rocket and they play on the moon? Like, there we go. That's the solution right there.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah there we go. Yeah. That's right. We can call them Bob and Doug in there in space. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Second down.
3: Trivia time. Pat, you're a 1.5 out
1: of 6. Thanks for bringing that up, Don. Thanks for bringing that up.
3: But again, I'm not keeping I'm not keeping track. I'm sorry. I just haven't. Yeah, it's, a, it's a
1: memory issue, right? <laughs> I just can't forget this.
3: All right. Let's go to trivia and question one. Twice it has happened that four teams from a division have lost in successive years in the Grey Cup. Can you name one stretch of four years where this happened?
1: So you want the actual years then you're saying? Seven, eight, nine, and 10. Twenty, seven,
3: eight, nine, and 10. Time's up. The correct answer, either one that would have worked is 1979 to 1982
1: or 1949 to 1952. Okay, so the 79 to
3: 82, that was Montreal? Yep. Montreal, Hamilton, Ottawa, Toronto. 49 to 52, Calgary, Winnipeg,
1: Saskatchewan, Edmonton. Wow, well, okay, this so is another 49s I could not have gotten. The other one I should maybe have thought about. Yeah, that is, there's lots of years to choose from when you're talking about a league this old. Well,
3: that's a bit of a tough question. I'll give that one to... To superfan Mike, he's the one that uh, came up with that for me.
1: So. That's a good one. So I'm, I was hoping to double my score. I've got, I've got to make sure now I at least get these next two to do that.
3: Again, there's only one way to go from here. Oh, by the way, i got to give a shout-out to one of our listeners who has corrected me on one of the questions from last week, even though the answer you gave was still incorrect. But I asked, which Western team had the Bombers beaten in the Grey Cup? Mm-hmm. And you responded, Calgary, which they had not. But Edmonton and BC, 1988. I totally blanked on the 1988 win of the Bombers yeah. over the Lions in Ottawa. So Here we go. my apologies and thanks for pointing that out. All right, question two. There are two teams that Saskatchewan has yet to defeat in the Grey Cup. Name them.
2: Ooh.
1: I need an answer. Ottawa and Winnipeg.
3: No. Toronto and Montreal.
1: Oh, wasn't even close.
3: Now they played Montreal lots recently. Mm-hmm. Lost every one. They have. And the last time they met Toronto, I believe, was 1997.
1: That's right, Reggie Slatt.
3: And Doug Flutie. Yeah, that was, that a, was a that was a great Cup year that the Riders were not supposed to be there.
1: No, no, they had a nice run up to that point, and then. That was kind of a blowout, if I'm recalling correctly.
3: Yeah, oh, yes. Uh, the Argos manhandled the uh, Rough Riders mm-hmm. that night. There's no doubt about it. That was in Edmonton, I believe. That right? is right. And that's that's a significant night because Paul Tagliabue from the NFL, their commissioner, was at the game. This was that mm-hmm. whole issue of getting support from the NFL for the CFL, and Tagliabue was suitably impressed by what went on at the Grey Cup that year and the huge crowd that showed up for the game, and the NFL was on board from then on to work with the CFL. Yep. Yeah. All right. Question number three. What are you? One of eight now? One point five of eight?
1: Uh, one point five. Let's 8? make sure we get the one point. The point five counts.
3: Okay, it will. It rounds up. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You're the teacher. I'm not. Sure. All right. The last two game total point CFL playoff Eastern Conference championship was played in what year? A 1968. B, 1972, or C, 1986?
1: Well, just because you threw 86 in there, now you've got me thinking. I'm trying to get back to that time. I would have guessed it would be one of the other two initially, but you've got me peaked with the 86. Trying to recall. That was a year when Ottawa was Time's up. Answer. Let's go see. Just because it, it that, that seems an odd number to have in there.
3: It is correct.
1: Oh, whoo! I, I didn't quite double, but I'm <laughs> The
3: 1986 Eastern Final was a two game total point series thanks to a rule change that took effect that season and was repeated for one more year whereby if the fourth-place team in one division had a better record than the third-place team in the other, the stronger division would have four teams in the playoffs, the weaker would only have two.
1: That, you know, makes sense because I remember, I believe it was Ottawa with JC Watts' team that came in with a, was it five? and That's years before. Yeah, it was years before, but I mean, it, it caused some issues, I think, when teams looked at that and said, okay, why is a team with a sub-900 or 500 record in in the great cup and in the playoffs and this was it.
3: this was the first attempt at a crossover to re- address that issue mm-hmm. and it was um, within two years was gone
1: yep yeah it makes sense the other two i would have guessed one of those right off the bat but as soon as you threw 86 in i thought i got thinking about okay in the early 80s that was the issue that people had problem with in the league, right
3: good on you for coming up with the answer so that puts you at hey. 2.5 out of nine uh not that i'm keeping track
1: uh yeah
0: third down. And this is an opportunity for our governors and presidents to all work together, work with our players, work with our coaches to really build a stronger foundation from which this league can can sit on. I think it, it's taking the 2.0 strategy and maybe it's CFL 3.0, looking at a stronger version of ourselves, one where we get our cost models to into place so that we are are set on a good solid foundation for the future i think that's probably the single greatest lesson from this is that we need to do work on our business now you know there's an expression that says sometimes you spend too much time working in your business and not enough time working on it
3: cfl 3.0 it's an idea brought up by the commissioner randy ambrosie talking about the business model for the canadian football league post-covid i think it's worth debating here as to what kind of forms it can take and maybe get your thoughts
2: a lot to talk about because uh, we're trying to figure out what what are the next steps of the cfl and, and kind of where where do we go from here because we we don't know if we're going to have that shortened season and if we are or aren't uh the fact of the matter is that they have to start looking at how do we get through these types of times if they ever happen again
3: 20 years ago, Michael Lisko, the then commissioner of the Canadian Football League, had floated the idea that you have to sell scarcity when it comes to football. You've got a very few set of home dates, less than one quarter of the entire calendar year, where your team is actually at home, and you have so many seats available. And he said that part of your marketing program and part of your thought process was to get the idea into people's heads that this is something that you only get a chance to see so often. You've got to get take that opportunity now.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of like that idea. I think that goes along with you see some of these teams, uh, like you look at BC, who have you know tarped off the the upper deck and trying to same kind of idea, right? You're selling the fact that you have less seats available, so you kind of want to make sure that you grab the ones that you can get. Um, Looking at it on a timeline schedule, that is a little bit different for sure, but I would think that that's something that, you know, us as long-term CFL fans, we are saying, well, yeah, no kidding, we're already saying we don't get enough of it, and so we try to cherish every moment. Do we try and kind of use that as a marketing spot to say hey don't miss out you want to be here for these because they don't come very often
1: the team that really um, epitomized this uh, scarcity model was montreal when they had rejuvenation in montreal with the alouettes and and selling uh, tickets in montreal making an event where people want to be there you only have x number of tickets available so if it becomes an event you want to be at you need to get one of the tickets
2: yeah, and I, I can see that for sure. Part of the turnaround in Montreal, too, was just the, the team started playing better, right? Absolutely. So, <laughs>
1: no, that never hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so, that,
2: you know, it it's more... More people like to go when it's enjoyable to go. <laughs> so
3: that, uh... You think back when the team moved back from Baltimore and they were playing in the Big O. Mm-hmm. And it was a rock concert, I believe it was U2, that forced them to go to McGill to play the playoff game against the BC Lions. And suddenly the idea was there 20,000 and over a 50,000 seat stadium doesn't look great but 20,000 and 20,000 that's a sellout
2: yeah absolutely
0: absolutely
1: absolutely in the atmosphere I mean if you've ever been to a game in in the skydome when when they have it blocked off again they can block things off but it still feels empty when you've only got 20-25,000 fans in it.
2: Right, well, and that that happens in Commonwealth. I mean, we look at the the size of it. It, it; it's amazing as you walk up to it, and it's like, wow, this is you know, it's a hmm. temple of football, right? But when you get there and realize that it, you know, it'll hold fifty six thousand people, and you only have twenty seven, and you're like, wow, um, there's a lot of days where you're like, we have lots of social distancing space here. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah. That doesn't make it great. Uh, but on the other hand, I, re- I think back to a couple of years ago where the team did the uh, the, the $20 end zone seats and that, that 2015 West final where we basically had the lower bowl filled and it was louder. There was a whole lot more energy. There was just that whole uh, people wanted to be part of that. Because it, it was a completely different energy. And I'm I'm hoping that we can use some of those types of ideas to then have that 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 different energy.
3: And I, I, I echo your thoughts about Commonwealth Stadium. I've been there I was there on a night when they were playing the Stampeders and they had over thirty thousand people there. And that place still looked cavernous. Like thirty thousand to some people. degree. Yeah. yeah. It's it's yeah. especially when you get to the corners and stuff like that and it just doesn't do it justice because there are 30,000 people there
2: yeah and and remember i i've been going to games when it was a, a regularity to have 53 when i started going that that was the norm and into my teens that it was always around 50 and so you, you would we like we would race when the tickets went on sale at the local IGA, you'd go r- running over there to make sure that you got your general admin ticket there because that that was the only way you were getting in because there it was it was packed and that energy and even but even in that level you never got to the point where it's like well I can't move around in here like <laughs> there's still space so you take twenty th- almost twenty thousand people out of there. Right. It it seems like there's a ton of space in there. But again,
1: you spoke to that when you, even with fifty six thousand, it became a place to be. So you had to get tickets early. So people rushed to get in. And Don, and I guess that's where you're going with the CFL 3.0 with this
3: idea. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. Like if you if you limit the number of seats available then each seat becomes more valuable.
2: Now there's two there's two different ways and I'm gonna throw a, a little bit of a, a wrench in there because what we were just talking about about having all of the people in there and feeling like they're part of something that is a little it's it's more of a collective feeling. If you want to get more butts and seats, there is an argument to say make the tickets a little bit cheaper And you have more because again, that $20 end zone seat, all of a sudden lots of people were taking advantage of it. Now, it kind of, in some ways, I can see where it'd be hard. You're kind of devaluing your long term season ticket holders to say, okay, your seat was $400 for the entire season this year, and next year it's going to be $350, (laughs) right? So it seems like, well, wait a second, am I not getting the same value? But if you really want that feel, if you want that, hey, I need to be part of this, then maybe bringing that ticket price down, all of a sudden you get more people saying, OK, well, now I'm going to take advantage. And then you get you you're making the same money, but you have more people in which then drives that whole. I'm going to go tell my friends this was awesome and we should be coming to do this. And now we really need to get that ticket. So there's kind of both sides of it, I think. The other part that we need to talk about with 3.0, though, is that they have to find other ways other than the gate has to be important, but it can't be like the only thing. And right now it seems to be the majority of how they survive is based on that gate. They need to find a way to make that where it's not as dire.
3: I agree with you. Uh, The NHL, I think, is around 30% or 35%, depending on gate receipts. The CFL, far higher. And I agree. I think you have to have much more corporate involvement. It's sort of the the rainy day approach. When a team has a a bad day, like how often does the wind blow in Hamilton now that they turn the stadium 90 degrees? (laughs) <laughs> if the team has a, a rough weather day you need some other revenue streams to offset what would normally be a good crowd being diminished by the weather and this is gets to the bigger thing is that you've got to have more revenue streams so that if something slips a little bit you've got other points of pressure that you can hang on to
2: yeah i would agree and uh, again if you have the model like at least with as you, as you were saying they're Pat, with Montreal, now they go down to 20, I think it's 23,000 they're at now. And, uh, and on a consistent basis, they're getting closer to that sellout, right? In a place like Edmonton, you, that's where I'm saying, okay, maybe you do have to bring that, that ticket price down, get more people in there. Now you can charge more on the corporate side for the advertising because you, you know, there's going to be more people there. Brilliant. Right.
3: I think so much of sport is creating a buzz and you're alluding to this. Get the people there, get them engaged, create the buzz, get people talking about what they saw, get people engaging their friends about what they saw so that you get more and more people involved.
2: Well, and I think the other part, and I know Superfan Mike has talked about this a lot and so I want to make sure I give him credit for it, but um, the teams need, they, they have a brand. Use the brand to sell and and create in in this day and age it seems that the bigger draw is to have an experience the game is great and the game is important and all those types of things but if you really want to talk about people who are Uh, like even younger people who are really attached to this game. It's based on an experience. It's based on they won a, a locker room tour or they went to an autograph session and they had a great conversation with Ryan King and now they want to go to the game to watch him play really well. And I think the teams are sitting on something that they, and I'm hoping that's what Randy was kind of alluding to in his town hall, is... We we need to use that brand so that people feel more connected to the guys that are on the field uh, or more connected to the team brand, which means that they're going to buy more team stuff. They're going to be more involved in wanting to be there to cheer for that guy that they had that experience with and whether that's. Uh, Like Mike said, uh, the one where you you pay so much and it means you get to be part of the team photo or Trevor Harris will call your kid and wish him a happy birthday. Like I'm making stuff up on the fly, but I think that there are things and and events and and I know Ottawa has done a very, very good job of this. Even things like where you pay so much and you get to join the team on the charter flight out, watch the game and then charter flight home with the team. I can tell you if that, was even an option in the Edmonton circle take my money like I would be happy and I know there's a lot of people that would do that and then the buzz that comes off of that there's more people that want to do it right
1: and again supply and demand right so you can't take that many people on the plane so if you get on there oh yeah you've got a story to tell your friends about the riders or as you said about the player who came out to talk to you however that works, and that's the connection that we need in the CFL is to be able to feel connected to the players, to the organization, to get that buy-in from people on a consistent basis.
3: I think you're looking at value added. Absolutely. When you think about yep. it, you know, I, I pay for my ticket, and maybe that maybe my season tickets gets me a little bit of a perk. I might, you know, have a photo session I might do the locker room. Sure. I might something, but, I mean, anything to kind of, like, just give you that extra good feeling about why I'm doing what I'm doing beyond the fact that I'm cheering for the team, but I'm also getting a perk.
2: Yes, absolutely. And maybe what, like what you just said, Pat, is there, maybe they're selling the scarcity, but they're selling the scarcity on these events on these, uh, this ability to be part of something that is totally different, right? That experience, the scarcity, maybe the scarcity has to come on the experience side and they really sell that and push it so that people are excited to see that and do those things. And then on the other side, they just find ways that they can bring, you know, again, a cheaper ticket or something like that. You bring more people in, which then says, okay, now, hey, sponsor, it went from a, an average of 32,000 people a game to now an average of 45,000 people a game. We're, this, we are this, weaken up that price a bit, right?
1: Absolutely. And, and, and you do want that. And I think you see that when you walk in to watch CFL games in different stadiums. You'll see people holding the flag. You see the sideline experience where you can go down and you know watch the warm-up and maybe connect to a player or two, give a high five as they come by. Uh, those things matter. I've, I've, my daughter and son-in-law came with us one time, and uh, we happened to get down on the field and be able to watch the warm-up. And it was, it was a phenomenal experience for all of us, but particularly for that next generation of fans that maybe wasn't as connected as Those of us who've been longtime fans, that's going to buy in and they're going to be connected for a long time because it's exciting, fun to be part of.
2: Absolutely. And we we have a guy here, his name is Godfrey Onyeka, and he was a a draft pick from a couple of years ago. Canadian corner, right? Guy, don't usually see guys play in that position. So in my brain, when he was coming, I thought, okay, this guy's going to have a little bit of an ego for, for what he does. Every game without fail, he they're out doing the warm-up. As the warm-up ends, he comes over to the to the side and he'll throw the ball up in the stands to a kid and the kid throws it back to him. And then he finds the next kid and he throws it to them. And then after the game, he does the exact same thing. And I can tell you, even from my son's perspective, both of my boys, they now run down at the beginning of the game and at the end of the game with the hope to that they get to play pass with Godfrey. And... This is awesome. I mean, let's not... Let's not... You know, we, we won't uh, hide the fact that they're somewhat influenced by their father. But still, it's... The fact of the matter is, is they... But they're excited about it, right? They're excited about talking to these guys. And then when, the, when he makes a play on the field my son is like oh godfrey he totally took him out and he he's he feels like a co- completely different connection right i have a connection he talked to me
1: he threw me a ball yeah absolutely and that connection is what matters
2: and he is one of the most humble and easy guys to talk to he's he's almost he's on like borderline quiet but he's just a great dude and um Fan day uh, last year, he actually came out early and they had set up uh, like a like a blow up obstacle course. And he was challenging kids and they were racing through this obstacle course. And he and of course, he's a lot bigger. So he was having a bit of a rougher time. But it it was awesome. He was just finding ways to connect. He's like, here's a Connect Four game. He was playing Connect Four with my son and before the practice even started. I think there's spots where you can see people grab And I don't want to take away from the fact that he could still just do that as part of his routine, but people gravitate to that and you see the response from that. That's where I'm getting this whole, maybe they need to find a way to use that experience side to say, okay, hey, here's a hundred bucks. We'll, uh, you know, we'll put you in a room with three guys and you can ask them whatever you want. Yeah, well, Okay sign me up. Like, you know, like that there, I think there might be some, I think there might be a couple of people that would be, okay, this is the experience. And then I want to go spread that experience.
3: Remember for proper physical distancing. If you're close enough to shake hands, you're too close. The recommended distance in CFL terms is two yards. Don't get a no yards penalty. Make sure you stay back at least
0: two yards to maintain proper physical distancing.
3: So the other part of this equation, I guess, beyond value added, is this whole notion of revenue sharing. We see it in other leagues, uh, specifically baseball and hockey. And I'm wondering if maybe in this new 3.0 and this whole new business model that we have to start looking at revenue sharing among the nine member teams of the CFL.
2: Yeah, I think I I think it's something that they definitely have to consider. Um, it's kind of funny. I think the hardest part of that, and I heard this on, uh, I think it might have actually been with you guys saying that the 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 balance of um, the, some of them being you know privately owned teams and some of them being community teams, and that is that something that's going to make it harder to do a revenue sharing type situation, just because you you have certain spots where they have a single owner and they have a little less success as compared to the community owned teams. But that owner also has the ability to lose a little bit and not, you know, be dead in the water. Whereas a a community team might have a lot harder time if they're, you know, not balancing the books the same.
1: Uh, I think the other consideration that that I would say is not only the owner, but, I mean revenue sharing is, is a great option for the league, but when you have private ownership as well, some of these owners are in it to make money. Absolutely. And the idea of taking their portion of the shares, if they're a successful organization that's running a you know, a, a, a positive, strong balance and, and yet now I have to take some of what my my club has earned to, to give it to other clubs, that that's going to be a bit of an issue.
3: Wait a tick though. Wait, 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 wait. So baseball, how many community based teams are there? How many? How many are community based in in the NHL? Community owned? Uh, yeah, I have. N- <laughs> what, what is
2: it? What is a baseball? Yeah. Wait.
3: What? Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: How many are there? Give me. Give me a, a quick number. That. That. That to me is bogus. <laughs> Everybody is in it to make money. Whether you're a. Comp- Community-owned team, or if you're a privately-owned team, that's irrelevant. Yeah, I'm, I agree. Oh, absolutely. the The point to me is: got to think about all nine, or hopefully with Atlantic Schooners coming in, all ten. Right. Are successful, and if that means that if the Schooners comes to, to Edmonton and they get a part of the gate as part of revenue sharing what's wrong with that how do we know that there aren't a bunch of people from atlantic canada coming out to the game just to see them anyway
2: of course yeah there and there could be oh my goodness sorry (laughs) it's one time the cat really wants attention no i i i think there is i think there is actually in the group of ownerships or presidents i guess across the the league as well there just has to be that whole thought that we're actually all in this together. One of the things that has happened in the CFL over many years is that every team is kind of its own, and then they're part of this big group that is kind of loosely held together. Instead of, we're all here to be part of a CFL. Like, I want this to be long lasting, big deal, all of us together, uh, and not just a collection of self run teams. And that I think that's something that's been going on for a number of years. Um, You know, all the way back to where we didn't have a salary cap, and everybody said that it was the Hugh Campbell League, we've had lots of things that have separated us. And in this type of situation, we need to be together for the for the collective good, which, you know, may affect some of those richer teams a little more in this moment but down the road everyone is stronger for it and there isn't the same issue when we get to please not another pandemic mode but another crisis type mode right
1: well the cfl has had many crises throughout the history of the league where one team has either failed or been on the verge of fail where, where other teams have been asked to pay in but it hasn't been the revenue sharing that you're talking about it's been more so we have a crisis we need to pull together and TV revenues are cut back for a number of teams so we can keep one team afloat again.
3: And that gets to my point. You can't have a management of crisis to crisis. It would be far better if you had a buffer built in. And that, to me, is the revenue sharing approach. And, and even go as far as items that are for sale at the stadium or something like that. If the Rough Riders or the Alouettes or the, or the Lions are having a run on jerseys this year, why can't the other eight clubs get a piece of that
2: action? Yeah, well, and I, I mean, I think the the ones I think all the other clubs would be like, wait a second, we get some of that Saskatchewan stuff? Oh, okay. Like there'd be definitely a part of that, right? Because we all know that Rough Rider fans will buy anything as long as it has an S on it, and uh, so I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, it's it's good. <laughs> yeah, good good point to your hat. That's perfect. Um, <laughs> so I think that there is some. Um, but, but no, I, I can see where the, the benefit would be there. I'm not just trying to pick solely on Saskatchewan, but um, I, I did, although I did find it a little funny that you used the term pull together because there's a team that would definitely benefit from some revenue sharing in, in the Toronto Argos, even though they do have very uh, rich owners. If Again, if it was evened out over everybody, does that, does that give them a little extra to be able to find a way to pull more fans in? Who, I mean, who knows, right?
3: Yeah, okay, Toronto's ownership does have deep pockets. Uh, Montreal's new ownership probably has deep pockets as well. But why do you have to rely on those deep pockets? Why can't you make the entity pay for itself? And uh, getting back to the Lisco thing that we were talking about selling scarcity, the other part of his model that he said was, uh, at the time he was talking about 25,000 per game, but hit a number right. of bums and seats that you can live with, that you can say, okay, we're going to break even if we get to this point every year, and have that across the league as a as a sort of an overall mantra that we've all got to make these numbers, and then work your marketing, work your uh, talent pools, work your, your general managers, have got to bring in players. the Better the competition, the better the attendance. Obviously.
2: Yeah. Oh, I would agree. Yeah. If if you have the ability to, uh, you know, if you're if you're making ev- even, let's look at it this way. If we were doing a revenue sharing across. And everybody gets a little bit richer, and everybody does a little better. You'd think that that's going to some at some point in a, in a bargaining agreement trickle down to players, which then brings more players in, which brings better talent, which then brings the uh, more fans in, which then makes the profit sharing. Do you see how that all is kind of all working together? Um, I, I think that there there could be a, a good uh, it's a good idea there. I I wish I knew more about it so I could say here's a negative just to watch you go a little ballistic. But I, I'm actually just going to fully agree with you today.
1: Well, the the opposing argument, of course, would be that this is a communistic view and uh, you're sharing too much. But uh, you know that that uh, you know again, individual uh, organizations and businesses that that do well deserve to continue to do well. And there there is a form of revenue sharing in the CFL. I'd say that comes through the. Uh, TSN agreement, right? Where where they all get a piece of the pie. And, and it's even, even though some teams may have a bigger draw to TSN games than others.
3: This is all a cycle. Like, there are going to be times when uh, the Alouettes are down and now they're back up. So suddenly, maybe revenue sharing, they can kick into the pot a little bit more because they are where maybe in previous years they couldn't because they just weren't getting the numbers. And it, it all tends to even out in the end. I don't think it's really a hard hit. The other thing, too, is I, I, th- I know with the Grey Cup, and I'm not sure with with uh, playoff dates, but with the Grey Cup, the whole city can buy the Grey Cup game back and make it theirs and whatever profits or whatever. And I think I might be leaning towards getting rid of that and saying, no, that's another share point for the league.
1: Oh, interesting. You know, one, one of the things I like, and I'm, I, I mean, you threw this at us, so I'm just thinking this through right now. But if you were to take a look at, and be able to do both sides, so you reward your strong businesses. Let's say you do revenue sharing based on 75% of your overall capacity in your stadium, right? And and you work through that sense. And then if you go above and beyond and you're succeeding, you can you can potentially keep that. Um, I, I don't know. To me, to the full revenue sharing, I think if I'm an owner... Or a community-based team. I want to have some ability to get rewarded for what we're doing and doing well.
3: But you're getting rewarded if you're you're drawing big crowds and you're selling your merchandise. Yeah, but
1: but if I if if I
3: you're getting that reward anyway. You're not. You're, all you're doing is that you're taking a portion of that and saying, okay, to make sure that I've got eight opponents next year, I'm going to chunk over a little bit of that cash to keep them healthy. Yeah, I'm not talking about every dollar that you make goes into a pot and then you get redistributed. I'm talking about like a 75-25 or an 80-20 or whatever that you would like. So there is an incentive for you to still maximize your uh, attendances and your merchandising, for
1: and sure. And again, a portion of it, I would agree. But if it's going to be every year, we're sharing the same, like everything goes in the pot and gets redistributed. I guess that that's what I'm thinking about. If it's a portion of what you do, then then you do still get rewarded somewhat for being the stronger organization or having a better year in that year.
2: That, yeah, that's that's going away from your your communist idea before. Where it's not sharing, it's not sharing everything. Yeah. But I, I think isn't that the way it is? I think in the NHL, it's a percentage, is it not? It's, yeah, it's a, it's a, um something like a 30% or something of your, uh, of, of your above a certain operating cost. And then I think that's what it was. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. I'm not, I haven't versed myself up on it lately, but.
3: But I never implied that everything goes into a pot and then you all get it redistributed. My point was that you, you have to take a portion of whatever you make and, and put it into the pot
2: yeah 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 i I actually like that idea okay i guess we're all gonna agree then (laughs) (laughs) is that the first time we've done that on this show okay okay (laughs) thank you for listening to our show third down
3: gamble is hosted on Podbean. third down gamble can be found on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. That's spelled at T-H-I-R-D-D-O-W-N-G-A-M-B-L-E. Join us again next
1: time. The Third Down Gamble Podcast. Audio. Worth
2: watching.